What is to be done with this traitor, Your Grace? My mother wishes me to let Lord Eddard join the Night's Watch. Stripped of all titles and powers, he would serve the realm in permanent exile. And my Lady Sansa has begged mercy for her father. But they have the soft hearts of women. So long as I am your king, treason shall never go unpunished. Sir Illyn, bring me his head. Hey, everybody, and welcome to our podcast. I'm Duncan. And I'm Jason. <laughs> and this is Game of Microphones, episode 51. Woo! Yeah, how's it going, man? No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers at all. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, just so you guys know, this is a spoiler-filled podcast. We're doing the rewatch right. from the perspective of someone who's seen the whole series up through season seven, episode seven. So there will be spoilers. And if you just heard that intro, you got a huge one right before we warned you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. We were playing. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes, too. <laughs> yeah. Crazy to see this episode again. I'm excited. Yeah. I wanted to do this one because it really had a huge impact on me when I first saw it. Really. I mean, I was already in love with Game of Thrones, but this just uh, kind of changed my perception of what the show was. <laughs> totally understandable. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to experience mm-hmm. for the first time. I had the same type of uh, reaction. I was uh, totally unsullied at the time. I had no ideas about anything. Yeah. So it was really shocking to and to see it's it. As, yeah, and it's not a happy occasion, but it's amazing. And yeah, uh, seeing something like this with absolutely no expectations and all, and, and, you know, there are expectations because we've had hundreds of years of storytelling where we're conditioned to believe that the hero is going to um, come back and fight all the odds. Right. So and that's, that's, the, our that's the shocking part is that the yeah. subversion or the, the, uh, the, the, the subverting of the, uh, the trope of the hero surviving. Right. And Pretty so crazy. To get that without any, um, spo- any inclination that was going to happen is, is kind of precious because <laughs> you're yeah. like, what? Whoa, <laughs> fuck. You know, it's just such an intense experience. Yeah. You got to really got to <laughs> give it to George R. R. Martin for, yeah. for that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Craziness. So you ready for the top five? Yeah. All right, let's do it. You start. Okay. The first thing I really wanted to get into is the battle strategy of Rob Stark in his first gambit in the War of Five Kings. Nah, I'm just kidding. Ned got his head chopped off. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were dead serious there. I was like, oh, cool. That's my number three. (laughs) Yeah, that is kind of interesting to talk about. But like I said, I mean, I feel like this episode is uh, really where Game of Thrones asserted itself and kind of revealed itself. Yeah. 
We've already got, gotten the idea that, you know, nice things don't always happen on this show, but the whole time um, you've got Ned positioned as the hero and these advertisements saying you win or you die. And little did we know that it was going to be choice B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never expect that. Yeah, you never oh, would expect so that. so great. So I just sort of wanted to go back through my experience of, of watching this the first time. Uh, it, it, it opens on Ned and, um, the flame of Varys torches reflected in his eye. And little did we know <sighs> that fire would be extinguished by the end of it. Right. But with, with Sansa begging for mercy for Ned last episode and Joffrey saying, you know, if he says Joffrey is King and now we see Varys telling Ned the same thing, you just have to proclaim him King and Ned is resisting hardcore. Then I'm thinking, uh, you got to get over your pride. Uh, but also it's a little sad to think, well, it, it, that's very admirable that he has that integrity and that honor and he'll lose something if he gives in. So that's right. what I, I'm thinking is the tension of the episode. Like, all right, I want him to do it to save himself. But it, you know, if he does maybe there are, there's some other way for him to save himself. And so then it comes to that end scene and Arya finds out, Hey, they're taking him out to the Sept of Baylor. She runs through the crowd and she's up on the statue of the, of, uh, Baylor. Baylor and yeah. Yeah. And she's at one point grabbing the hilt of her sword. And I'm like, Oh, is, is Arya going to have something to save do with him? how he, he gets out of this? <laughs> and then jo Joffrey goes, my mother and Sansa asked me to spare him. And, and, uh, Sansa has a big smile, but they have the soft hearts of women. <laughs> so Ilian, bring me his head. I'm like, Oh shit. Wow. Yeah. This is really exciting. How's he going to get out of this? And then, uh, Arya is making her way through the crowd and I'm like, is, is she going to be able to do something? And then, um, Yorin gets Yorin her, stops her and I'm like, what, what? And then he's staring out at the crowd and his breathing slow. When his breathing slowed down, I was like, oh shit. Yeah. That's when I think that's when I thought it he, goes he all quiet. Actually, like yeah. everything's muted sort of. And yeah, you can he's hear his breathing slow down and he just sort of resigns himself to it he, for a second there. It sort of hits him though. Uh -huh. And he's looking at the crowd. And, yeah. Yeah. And then the blade comes down and Arya's is looking up at the birds in the sky cause she doesn't want to see it. And, uh, then the credits come on and I remember Jenny and I were just like silent for a while. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> oh, it's, it never gets easier to watch that scene either, man. Like it really doesn't. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. It's just super intense. I, I it's, it's pretty amazing. Like my, one of my points is sort of the other half of this. There's the, the, the side that he's being executed and then there's the side of the sacrifice that he's made again. Um, to save people that he cares about, which mm -hmm. is the recurring theme for this character. We have Maester Eamon raising the question to John at the wall, being strangely in tune with what's happening. Yeah. South without even knowing it. it but um, it's a coincidence. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Or maybe he does. Maybe he knows. Maybe. Uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> so he asked John what his father would do if he ever had to choose between honor and those he loves. Right. And he says he'd and do whatever was right. He'd do whatever was right, and, but that's a non-answer because you don't know what is the right thing to do. Right. Whatever he deems to be right. But uh, it, it's crazy because 
he, you know, he he made the decision. He did what he thought was right to protect John from the Mad King. Now he's doing what he thinks is right here, sacrificing his honor again to protect mm-hmm. his family from the new Mad King. Essentially, um, yeah. And it's, he, he just lives a life of tragedy until this episode where his tragic life is, you know, snuffed out. <laughs> And, and this also is the dawning of, of Joffrey. I mean, we've seen what a nudnik he is, but <laughs> nudnik. this yeah. really is like, oh shit, dude, he's, he's fucking insane. I, like, yeah. I don't even know if Cersei knew or if Littlefinger knew that he was going to do that. He may I don't have think just they decided did. in the moment. I yeah. think, yeah, it was a total surprise and, as far as I'm, as I know. And it's, uh, the show is so heartbreaking because you think that there was even a chance that Ned could be king and all of a sudden it's like, nope, it's this dickhead uh, who's such, I mean, even just the look on his face when uh, when Ned says that he's, that proclaims that Joffrey is the true king, he just, look, did you hear? He said it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he gives a quick little glance around like, oh, so, you know? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, that thing about John, yeah, so it, it, about choosing whether to choose honor or love is in the moment it's about him choosing whether to stay at the wall or go fight with Rob. Yeah. And, uh, I think he chose to stay, right. Or he chooses. It's interesting. He, he ends up riding South in the middle of the night and basically running down Sam to do it when Sam refuses to get out of his way. And so Pip and Gran and Sam all ride after him and bring him, end up bringing him back. And he, uh, he goes into Mormont's chamber the next day and Mormont's like, oh, you're tired after your midnight ride. And he's like, how do you know about that? And he's like, I told you honor would bring you back. And he's like, my friends brought me back. And Mormont says, I didn't say it was your honor. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good moment. Was that in the next episode? I didn't. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Must be. I was like, did I fucking miss that? Because I don't remember seeing that in this episode. Yeah, next episode. All right. Well, it's interesting. Okay. Because I was going to say maybe, you know, John choosing honor says something about he has even more strength of character than uh, his father, but it sounds like he really struggled with it. There. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> struggled hardcore. Um, but I think that there's a couple there's a couple lines here that really boil down the, the choice that he has to make, which um, you, you'd you mentioned, you described pretty well. But he says, what what does he say to various? Uh, you think my life is some precious thing that I'd trade honor for a few extra years of, of what? You know? Yeah, but yeah. then he brings up her, his daughters. Exactly. And he follows yeah. up. What of your daughter's <laughs> life, my Lord? Is, is that a precious thing to you? And that's like where you find out the struggle like what he's really the decision he's really needs to make and he, he's not even aware of it really until um various mentions that it's like it hadn't yeah. even crossed his oh, mind yeah. you know he's so yeah. focused on just and his own honor to have both of them present too was it just made it all the more tragic to have Arya out there his little girl watching right and and uh this is a turning point for her character. She already, you know, has made it known that she wants to be a fighter and she has the heart of a warrior. But at this point on in the series, now she's driven by vengeance because of this. Yeah. Driven by a total vengeance, um, mm-hmm. embracing the, the masculine side of the, of the, co- the coin, essentially. Um, you know, Sansa's all like the lady and she's the tomboy. And it's, it's symbolized when Yorn cuts her hair off at the, at the beginning of the next episode. Right. Um, the, the transition where she goes full on tomboy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's just like, I don't care what my gender is. I'm a fucking fighter. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, this is what I am. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, it was interesting. I don't know if we've ever seen 
Arya ever express any kind of like attraction for anyone. What do you I mean? Think so like, um, like, um, like a romantic attraction. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I, I don't think so. Yeah, Maybe, it's um, not, it's not important to her. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to think about that. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. It definitely doesn't seem to be a priority for her. Right. Not <laughs> Unlike all. Rob, you know, <laughs> a couple other things. Yeah. Rob, that was, <laughs> was uh, a couple other things. Um, about the scene, the crowd yelling at Ned, you're a traitor. It just reminded me of, uh, with Cersei. Cersei, you know? yeah. Yeah. Great. It's like anytime these guys who have no power are given permission to just debase authority without any consequence, <laughs> they're like, yeah, totally. <laughs> he loved Nailed this. it right there. Uh-huh. And then we see Sansa dressed up nicely. And that reminded me of later when Arya kind of chided her for that. Yep. I saw you up there in your nice clothes. In your pretty gown and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Oh, it's so funny. Little fingers there. And yeah, I kind of wondered if he knew what was going to happen. If anybody really knew, know. Littlefinger would probably know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was thinking too, in, in a cold calculating way, it does kind of make sense for Joffrey to do that because he got Ned to proclaim him king. So that helps him erase doubts. And then just get rid of the guy. Everybody already thinks he's a traitor. So right. he's done what Joffrey needed. Don't let him stick around and possibly cause any more trouble. Totally. And for all we know, Littlefinger was sitting there in his ear. They have the soft hearts yeah, of women, right. your grace. Wouldn't it make more sense just to get rid of Ned? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it would totally line up. I just up. had a, a couple of sort of, uh, you know, meta comments about it that, um, Maybe we should have seen this coming because Sean Bean has died on screen. I read 25 times in different things. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now that you mentioned that, I have heard that too. In the field. He was thrown onto this sharp object by Harrison Ford in Patriot Games. <laughs> uh, James Bond killed him in Goldeneye. Of what? course, there's Fellowship of the Ring with the orc arrows. Oh my God. The island. There was all kinds of stuff. So uh, recently when asked which of his characters he would like to bring back from the dead. Sean Bean said, I'd like to see Ned Stark, the character I played in Game of Thrones, resurrected. They brought Jon Snow back, so couldn't they bring Ned Stark back too? Yeah, Yeah, for all we know, uh, Jack and Hagar took his place or some shit. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) One of those faceless men, guys. Head in a jar. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Brainiac style. (laughs) I've always wanted to see him come back in, in a flashback. Yeah, man. That'd be awesome. But I guess um and just thinking about it now, that would be hard because you would think it would be a flashback with his kids and they're all grown up, so they can't really do it. Oh, right. <laughs> I guess they could have him talking to Cat or something. Yeah. Yeah, that would be good. Uh, or John, even Jon Snow. They could get away with that probably. <laughs> they could just cut his hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it takes off twenty years. <laughs> Oh, man. So that's so that's what I had to say about that. Nice. Much. Good, good, good one, man. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's funny. You mentioned uh, right off the bat you wanted to talk about Rob's military strategy because it turns out that my number five right off the bat is cross, <laughs> crossing the Rubicon and Rob's military <laughs> accomplishments and tactics. Um, so, man, it's foreboding when they get to the, um, the, the twins and they're talking about how Rob has five times the phrase numbers and he could take the twins if, if he needed to. And his mom's like, well, you know, they've the phrase I've held the crossing for 60 years. They've never failed to, you know, get their toll. Or, yeah, so. yeah, 600, my bad. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And never uh, failed to get their toll. Um, 
and knowing what happens, it's just super, super ominous that he's, mm-hmm. you know, he should have just taken the castle essentially. Um, I know. She also said, uh, you know, I've known him since I was a child. He would never harm me. And right. it's like, unless oh, there's maybe profit. If, or the guy said, unless there was profit in it. And right. actually if there's vengeance in it, then he would. Because, yeah, that too. Because the most important thing to Walter Frey is, is status. And he's, he's obviously got a chip on his shoulder. And so by, uh, rebuffing him and he also has all these kids that he wants to get married off. So by, um, promising him her son and then reneging on that, that's just hit him where it hurts the most. Cause he already feels like everybody already treats him like shit. Snubbed by everybody. Yeah. 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 Like they're constantly like just always snubbed marriage proposals uh, being turned down or mm-hmm. like or nobody's not getting invited wedding yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. It's so funny. Um, and man, <laughs> Walter Frey is just the most disgusting dude. I know. <laughs> it's so horrible. He's like bragging about his 15 year old bride. Ah, She's my honey. Is all mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. He's just, even when he kisses her hand, He's oh, he's just so it. gross like, about it. You come here. Yeah, he's like slobbering all over it. <laughs> and he's such a dick about it. Like, maybe now that I've observed the courtesies, my <laughs> stupid sons will shut their goddamn mouths. <laughs> he's so That's gross. And proper as he can possibly be. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, I laugh at him. Oh, me too. I love him. He's so mm. fucking funny. Dude. Yeah. He's, he's someone you love to hate, you know. And yeah. man, this actor is just phenomenal at Walter Frey too like just the most decrepit like just uh-huh. gross like gnarly looking guy weathered and just <laughs> just so rough yeah. it's it's hilarious man he's and so funny I think he's gonna be uh the first doctor in a doctor who Christmas special where the current doctor teams up with the first doctor or something what no way that's he's awesome play that part yeah that's great I love to watch mm-hmm. that I've never really watched much doctor who but I would watch that for yeah. sure um, yeah, he's got, he's just surrounded by his kids. Um, it's so funny. At one point he's cats making up excuses for some snub to his, his honor, you know? And he's like, I don't need reasons. I need, re- I need to get rid of sons and daughters. <laughs> you see how they pile up <laughs> and it's just surrounded by all these kids and their kids. And it's a mess. The whole house fray is just a mess, man. Just, <laughs> Unbelievable. At one point, he refers to Rob he, as your boy and his, and his corpses, his soldiers as his corpses. Give me one reason why I should waste a single thought on any of you. Stark, Tully, yeah. Lannister, Baratheon. It's great. But I don't believe that. I think he thinks about it a lot. <clears throat> yeah, he totally and, does. And he says, uh, your mother would still be a milkmaid if I hadn't squirted you into her belly. Oh, that's a great line, too. <laughs> <laughs> or when my favorite was when Caitlin Catlin says, uh, is there somewhere we can talk? And he's like, we're talking right now. Fine. <laughs> out. All of you. Out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What a conjure. Uh, so cat eventually gets back to the, uh, to Rob's encampment there on the bank. And, um, she is not excited about having to tell him the news of what he needs to do to cross. You know, she starts off small. She starts with the small (laughs) stuff. Yeah. Well, you got to take Oliver on as a squire. And he's like, (laughs) and, and and Arya has to marry Waldron. Yeah. 
Oh, uh, she's not going to be happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're going to have to marry uh, one of his daughters. You get to pick. Well, have you seen did them? You, did <laughs> did you look at them? Oh, one was... Uh, <laughs> Brutal, man. And Can then it turns out they had the pretty one hidden away. If only they had the pretty one out, then this whole thing might have gone differently. Right. He just wanted to you torment know? them. If you know? mom, if mom would have been able to say, well, you know what? There's one, one who was, you're just going to love. Then yep. maybe that would have made a difference. Yeah. One of them was smoking. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think uh, Walter just wanted to torture them as much as possible. <laughs> yeah. They probably hit the well, pretty one brought out all the undoing. Yeah. yeah. In the end. <laughs> yeah. Part Both of, the of them. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Walter got it. Rob got it. It was everybody's undoing really. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so, so well, uh, you know, go ahead. Well, uh, so, so he's in charge of, 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 uh, this bridge, um, between the two castles that crosses the Trident river. Yep, and the I twins. guess the river dice, uh, intersects through the narrow part of Westeros. Right. So you really can't, um, get across it unless you go across this bridge or you go by boat or you go way around. Yeah, you could cross the fo- where the trident forks and cross like four rivers, or you could try to cross the main part where the trident mm-hmm. is one big river. And uh, I guess the easiest place is the twins. <laughs> it just seems a little crazy that the toll is so high. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. ah, maybe they should find another way. <laughs> yeah, especially since, um, yeah, since the 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 uh, Walder is a liege lord to Catelyn's father. Yeah. marriage that's 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 the highest bridge toll i've ever heard of what if you had to marry somebody every time you cross the golden gate bridge yeah and it's it's so (laughs) funny too because you were you're saying that obviously walder frey thinks a lot about this and it's not like why should he you know spend a single thought on any of them and uh, you know and you can tell this when he his his move what he really wants but he's his leverage that he's using is marriage to, into Rob's family. Like, yeah. obviously it gives a shit. It's so funny. And, man. Yeah. And this, um, this crossing is all his power in the world and he's going to milk that for all it's worth for everything. Yeah. They have this fortified location that they can control. But another part of this that I loved was just that Theon got such a kick out of the whole thing when, Catelyn was telling Rob what the toll was. Right, he's he, Rob storms <laughs> he's out. I consent, and, and <laughs> yeah, Theon's <laughs> laughing and kind of like looking back and forth with the great John. I think. Yeah. Oh man, that's so funny. That's good. So Theon's uh, a bit of a dick himself. Oh yeah, not too bad, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. he's yeah, he's a character for sure. Um, total total douche in a lot of ways. Frequently, <laughs> always got a smile. Um, he's described in the books as as um always looks like he knows the answer to a joke that you don't or something um uh that's good i think the guy plays it pretty well then yeah it's it's yeah he did a real does a real good job alfie allen people actually yeah, a lot of people really rave about his performances um but yeah this is the moment where rob consents and the crossing begins and um it's like the crossing of the rubicon moment where there's no turning back Literally, after this, uh, <laughs> he can't even do it. He tries and gets killed, you know. Um, so, yeah, then that this comes into what his next move, which is his tactics and his deciding to split his army in two and send 2,000 to ride towards Tywin's host and 18,000 to ambush Jamie's host in the Whispering Wood, which is a, a brazen tactic that 
seems to have grandly succeeded at this point as uh, he mm-hmm. pulls in the, the Kingsguard captive, Jamie Lannister, um, which is interesting because I noticed that Jamie's wearing Lannister armor and not Kingsguard armor. Um, what do you think's up with that? Oh, I don't know. Do you think that was a deliberate? I mean, um, I don't know. What do you make of that? I don't know. I, yeah, I'm really perplexed as to that. Maybe he doesn't have to wear Kingsguard armor all the time, or maybe he wanted to blend mm-hmm. in um, with Lannister troops to make himself less of a immediate, like a immediate target for uh, I mean, rebel I th- forces. I feel like it's a symbol of of who he is. The uh, the Lannister armor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's for sure. <laughs> I mean, he killed his last king, so, <laughs> you know, he's a Lannister. <laughs> he's commanding, um, is he, what forces, he's commanding Lannister forces, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So that also know. confuses me. I'm wondering why he's um, out there with Lannister armor and Lannister troops, um, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to, I mean, maybe Joffrey gave him the order to um, intercept Rob's army or something. Yeah, much like The Walking Dead right now, and they're in the middle of all-out war, I feel like they're not being too explicit in all the details. Chain of command and whatnot? Yeah, and just the strategies. uh, They talk about it some, but it's not the focus. And and that's okay, because uh, it's a war, and it's... It's confusing. Right. So, but I like the comment of uh, that Rob made saying, you know, I just sent 2000 men to their graves. It was good that that was weighing on him because that's exactly what he did. The bards will sing their um, songs or will sing songs of their sacrifices. Yeah. (laughs) They probably, I don't know if they put it that way to those 2000 men. They were probably like, you're assuming a great duty now for honor or something yeah. like that. Not like you guys are all going to die. Rob is probably like, there's only a thousand of them down there. You'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, a recon mission. Yeah. Oh, brutal. <laughs> that was a pretty brilliant strategy though, especially coming up with it on the fly like that when they brought in the Lannister scout, um, at yeah. the, end of the last episode, pretty, pretty. Although you think maybe that, uh, when the scout came back and said to Tywin, he said, you better watch out because they're coming for you. He might suspect that. Right. It seems a little too forward. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? He told you that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. So, yeah, that's pretty much covers my number five is just that uh, okay. that tactic, the results, you know, capturing Jamie, which is a huge prize, <laughs> especially yeah. if he only knew what Jamie did to his brother. Um, but yeah, it's a big leverage piece in theory, um, at least for Tywin. Who knows how much it'll be able to manipulate Joffrey with that. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a solid victory right off the bat. Um, but he he gives his, quote, motivational speech at the end. One victory does not make us champions or whatever. This war is far from over, which is more like a <laughs> anti-motivational speech, <laughs> sort of. I know. Uh, it's hilarious. Don't get too excited, guys. Yeah. Well, um, all, I mean, you know, and Jamie offered, why don't we just fight? And then whichever one of us wins will... Um, be the victor in the war and we can save a lot of death. Right. If we do it your way, Kingslayer, you'd win. <laughs> Turns out that would have probably saved a lot of death and led to the same oh, yeah. outcome. Jamie was not <laughs> wrong about that. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been the same, res- you know, same end result, but a lot of fewer casualties for sure. Yeah. Um, what's your number four, brother? My number four is uh, Daenerys. So this episode had a double pull up pull the rug out from under us. I mean, it really doesn't come to a head until next episode, but Daenerys is trying to do something good and honorable by, um, 
you know, helping this, these people that were being brutalized by the Dothraki and they're personified by this witch who she trusts with, uh, basically dressing this very minor wound of, uh, Drogon's Drogo. And, <laughs> Drogo. Yeah. And <laughs> it's like, it's so tragic because this guy, uh, what's his name? Kotho. Kotho. Yeah. Keeps saying, no, she's a witch. She's got blood magic, you know, let right. keep her away. And he's totally right. It turns out, but as viewers, we're conditioned to be like root for the underdog and she's being benevolent and you know, this like savage Dothraki needs to step off and, and let, um, Danny do her thing. turns out she was completely wrong and it's totally her fault that Drogo died senselessly. And it's just so, uh, so tragic. And not only that, but it's such a dirty, fucked up situation with a witch because it's so, vi- so many violations, like killing his sacred horse and all these like demonic sounds coming out of the rats. It's like, oh, maybe <laughs> this isn't so good, you know? And, but we kind of like Danny's throwing good money after bad there. And, uh, and I, I feel like that witch is just like, uh, okay, they're just letting me fuck everything up. So I'm just going to keep on doing it. Yeah. Oh man, this is, uh, this just totally reminded me of at the end of one of the episodes, uh, with Shireen, the princess, you know, a Brathian yeah. princess, um, the credit scene has her singing this song about, uh, it's, it's, it's a song that her, her jester, her fool would sing patch face. And it's about the shadows come to dance tonight you know um but it's it's like totally referencing this scene with miri mazdur and the the how she says that the uh the dead men will dance tonight Mm. um the what does she say uh i can't find the i think she said that yeah Yeah. once i begin to sing no one must enter the tent the dead will dance here tonight um and so it's interesting patch face his character we never get on the show and i'm giving little tidbits for people to people to you know be motivated to read the books he's he, he says all this weird stuff that seems to be prophetic in different ways and he predicts things and alludes to other things and uh, it's just a really weird and creepy character that you only get in the books so you need to read them send me your email and i'll send you a book as long as you haven't received one from a friend before um but yeah that that song is super creepy and it, um talking about this made me think of that um yeah she's She's a creepy chick, but still, I feel like because of our conditioning from past stories, we're right. set up to believe that Danny's doing the right thing. And then slowly we're like, oh, maybe not. And all these like misunderstandings and things happening on false pretenses uh, are so tragic. Like Ned's only in trouble because Catelyn captured Tyrion because Littlefinger let her believe that he tried to kill Bran. And then Ned claimed to have ordered Catelyn to do that just to kind of try to help her out. And so that's what led to him being captured and it's all <laughs> unnecessary. And now Drogo is dying because Daenerys was trying to be benevolent and trusting this witch and she ended up making it worse. Yeah. Start out with a smaller trust. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and then, <laughs> Give her something but, small to and, fix first. <laughs> thing, this wound too, this it, it, Drogo allowed himself to get that just to kind of look tough. Like I'm not even going to move when you press your blade up against me. Right. In fact, and, I'll push into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after what happened in this episode, if I was a Dothraki, I'm not sure I would trust Daenerys, even if she did hatch some dragons in fire. Cause 
she really just invited she this witch that they were time. all um, wary of to kill their leader. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty pretty fucked up, and it's uh, it's uh, she just she just trusted too much. Hopefully, she learned a lesson from that. Yeah, in this show, we learn that if you're benevolence and kind and naive, you are going to suffer. Yeah, and Ned died from it this episode as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Craziness. Yeah. And then when Jorah cut off that moldy scab from him. Oh, you will die tonight, Khaleesi. It reminded me of um, the scales being cut from Jorah. Oh, later. <laughs> that's bit. so funny. Wow, yeah. that's great. I wonder if that came into play when they were um, determining the storyline yeah. for Jorah. Yeah. That's so funny. And then uh, when Daenerys says, I'm the blood of a dragon, and Quotho says, the dragons are dead, I, f- I feel like that was a little foreshadowing that it might mean something to the Dothraki if it turns out the dragons were alive. <clears throat> oh, snap. Yeah, maybe. You know, maybe. Yeah, interesting angle. And then the last thing is I, I wanted to mention on this scene is it was just cool to see what a badass Jorah was defeating that guy in battle. Yes. And when he cut his face, you could see like his cheek fat bulging out oh was a good, good effect damn i didn't even look that closely i was just i was looking at like the uh the combat moves more <laughs> yeah it was a pretty good fight it shows you how valuable uh, a suit of armor is yeah. you know that eric just, <laughs> just yeah that like, would have killed him wraps right around it and uh yeah and totally would have killed him with that armor and he just puts his arm down right over it traps the eric there and just cuts the guy's throat mm-hmm. uh jorah's yeah, he's a great fighter, so it's cool to see um, him fighting at any point, I think. This is mm-hmm. our first taste of what he can do. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's a really good fighter. Yeah, I, li- I always liked watching his portrayal of the guy. He's yeah, good. me too. Um, Ian Glenn, I think his name is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's pretty awesome. Crazy scene. Um, and yeah, there's the whole element of only death can pay for life comes into play here uh, for the first time, I believe. Uh, you know, she says, this is, there's a price, not a matter of gold. This is blood magic. Only death can pay for life. Mm-hmm. That's a recurring theme, huh? Yeah, definitely. Jacken says it to, uh, to Arya and the house of black and white. And it's, yeah, it's a definitely a recurring theme. Anything else you want to say about that whole thing? Nope. All right. Um, so my number four is our first secret Targaryen revelation. Mm-hmm. which is super exciting. And there's lots of cool stuff going on here. So we're back at the wall and Eamon summons uh, John to his, to the the Raven area or wherever they, <laughs> wherever they are. And um, he starts talking puts and him to work. yeah, puts him to work. <laughs> He's got him feeding the Ravens, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a passage of like this passage from the books too, uh, at one point and still smug. It was a fun recording, but he, the first, this is the first time we get the concept of love being the death of duty. And he, you know, like we, like we talked about, he asks what Ned would do if he has to choose between honor and those he loves. And, uh, it's sort of paralleling the whole situation with John that had already happened. Um, and this was sort of made me think that while we're, while I was watching it this time through that if Ned had told anybody about what happened with John, he would have told his surviving brother, Benjen, right? And, uh, yeah. if, and Benjen's been at the wall. You mean like his parentage and everything? 
Yeah, about like mm-hmm. the truth about John. You know, if something happens to me, like at least somebody will know, maybe from Ned's right. perspective or something. <laughs> so if Benjen's been up at the wall, if Benjen knew about Aemon Tar- being a Targaryen, it's possible that, although unlikely considering the stark honor, that Benjen could have told Aemon that John is actually a Targaryen. So um, it's possible that you know, Eamon's treatment of John throughout the, the series could reflect his knowledge of John being a Targaryen already, which would be kind of interesting. Um, and, and would make this scene make a lot more sense if he knew what type of man Ned was already based on knowing about John from, mm-hmm. uh, from Benjen. Um, but yeah, he's got some, some great, great quotes here. And he's, he's talking with John about, what is honor, you know, and compared to other things, compared to a woman's love, what's duty against the feel of a newborn son in your arms or a brother's smile? We all do their, our duty when it's easy, when there's no cost to it. Um, there comes a day when it's not easy, when you need to choose. And John's like, oh, so you're saying today's my day. And he's <laughs> there's a funny line. He says, I may be a bastard, but blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. You're right. You may be a bastard and you may not be. It's <laughs> 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 just a funny little line. I mean, he, he gets all indignant or whatever. Nobody knows about my struggles. You, know? you don't know. <laughs> and uh, little does he know that Eamon knows much better yeah. than he would ever have imagined. And it's great that, you know, from Eamon's perspective, he's like, oh, my family was being killed my nephew was king and he was killed and then all his children and his, it's like from his perspective, it was a travesty against his own family, which I love, you know, that's how war is, you know, depending on what side you're on, it looks a lot different. Yeah. Um, that's another cool thing. We get, um, different perspectives regarding the black fire rebellions and people that were fought for the black dragon or the red dragon in the Duncan egg novellas, which are, uh, really interesting you get to hear different people's perspectives sort of similarly to this but yeah he's you know he's still shaken up about it the ruin of my house the death of my family i was helpless blind frail but when i heard they had killed my brother's son and his poor son and the children even the little children and john is just like shocked at this moment (laughs) the look in his face it's priceless he's like who are you um and it's revealed that his his father was Makar, the first of his name, and his brother was Aegon, reigned after him when he had refused the, the throne himself. And it's just super hardcore that this guy yeah. could have been king himself and turned it down. Yeah. Most baller dude in the kingdom, essentially. Um, like, the, the, the dude in the kingdom who gives the least amount of fucks mm-hmm. <laughs> is Aemon. Do you know why he didn't take it and why he's up at the wall? He just... Uh, I, I I know that he, there's more a little more detail about the circumstances in the books, but I, I think he just like had felt a calling to go to the uh, to be a maester and turned okay. the kingship down for that. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, I don't know if it's ever talked about in the show. Um, but they also skip a generation here. Um, Ares, he says here, yeah. yeah, he says that Ares is uh, is his brother's son's son but there's like another extra generation in there in the books so it's funny they made him a little bit younger than uh on the tv show (laughs) to make Mm. it more plausible because he's like 104 or something in the books Mm -hmm. like way up there yeah they're like eh, we'll just take out a king it doesn't matter 
<laughs> yeah, you're Aemon Targaryen, John realizes, and he corrects him, you know, I am Maester of the Citadel, bound in service right. to Castle Black and the Night's Watch. I will not tell you to stay or to go. You must make that choice and live it with it the rest of your days. As I have. But what's John's name? I forgot. Aegon. Aemon and Aegon. Right. But you, but you're Aegon, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it is uh, his brother that he's talking about, too. The, you know, what is duty compared to the feel of a newborn son in your arms or a brother's smile. The brother he's talking about is also Aegon Targaryen. <laughs> Egg. <laughs> which is a fun and little. And Rob Stark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And alluding to that as well, which is uh, pretty wild. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I just love this scene. It's super emotional and really well acted and and, uh, written. Um, I just thought it was very powerful to watch and to learn the plight of this old man and the struggle that he's lived with his whole life and dealt with. Um, Yeah, it's just pretty, pretty intense. So that rounds off my number four. What about your number three? My number three is things that repeat in the series that were touched on in this episode. Sometimes it's things that repeat in the episode, other things that repeat over the course of the series. In this episode in particular, I noticed there were a few kind of prominent things with birds. I don't know if it means anything, but it was interesting to me, like Theon shooting down all the ravens going to Walder Frey. Right. And then the birds fluttering off when Ned is killed. It's like, oh, it's a birthday. Uh, right. <laughs> At least that's what oh, he that, wants us to think. That innocent bird died just to get the birthday card. Uh, later, yeah, right. Arya twists that pigeon to death. Right. And then just drops it when she finds out, you know, something's going on with her dad. Then we mentioned John was feeding the ravens mm-hmm. at Castle Black. <clears throat> And then, yeah, at the very end, Arya staring at the birds in the sky as Ned has his head removed. So there were a few. I mean, there's there's always birds, a three eyed raven and just you see birds a lot. But that was a few. Another thing we mentioned is there's a lot of assholes in this show. (laughs) (laughs) Walter Frey is a big one. Uh, There's also Joffrey. Then later there's Ramsay. There's Cersei. We, you know, already dealt with Viserys. There's Gregor Clegane, there's Septa Unella, there's the Night King. It's just an endless Fighter. list of assholes. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> we should do a who's the biggest asshole contest or something. Um, <laughs> and then there's kind of like demi assholes like Jamie, who starts off seeming like a full on asshole. But, or the Hound. Um, yeah, the Hound. Exactly. Um, Ilaria, I guess. Is that her name? Uh, Alaria Sand. Yeah, she's like a yeah. reverse demi asshole. She starts <laughs> off kind of cool and then turns into a big asshole. Yeah. Euron, I mean, he's, I would say he's a total asshole, but some people seem to like him. And uh, even Oberon, he, he could be an asshole at times. Theon. Oh, yeah. Alistair. Alistair. Oh, we never mentioned, um, um, what's his face? Uh, Janice Slint, either, right? Mm-hmm. Ilan Payne. <laughs> Ilan mm-hmm. Payne, is he an asshole, though, or is he just yeah, a robot? Maybe not. Yeah, like even Quyburn. Quyburn, yeah. That goes wild. He's a scientist. (laughs) (laughs) But he's a creepy fuck, that's for sure. I like that character too. He's a really interesting character. Yeah. There's also a lot of imprisonment. We have um, Tyrion. We've already had Tyrion at the Irie. And then later at King's Landing. Ned. We have Ned imprisoned in this episode. Jamie. Jamie caught. Uh, Later we have Theon with Ramsay. Right. Um, recently Yara with Euron 
And we had the dragons, two of Danny's dragons imprisoned at Marine. It's just a lot of people being locked up all the time. And then there's like a metaphorical imprisonment as well, like Danny um, being slaved off or married off to Drogo. Um, There's a couple examples like that too. Even Uh, Cersei a little bit in her marriage with Robert, even though Sure. Um, people being trapped where they don't want to be like not necessarily Shay, but Tyrion had thought that that was who she was in the drinking game. Yeah. We'll get to that. Nice. (laughs) Um, then there's, uh, progressions like, you know, the battle this episode was totally glossed over. Uh, Tyrion gets knocked out by accident by one of his own men. And, uh, that was really (laughs) funny, but I also remember thinking, Oh, I'm sure they did that because they didn't have the budget for it. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. There's a cool scene in the books too. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you get some action there for sure in the books. So, but then they more than made up for that later on with, uh, you know, hard home and battle of the bastards and the loot train. And I mean, they more than made up for it. (laughs) So the, the battles just get bigger and more spectacular as the show goes on. The dragons start out small and then they get bigger and more powerful. Danny, she's pretty weak when we first meet her, at least she's demure. And then she gets more strong and confident and ruthless. And there's more battle braids in her hair and everything. Um, John, he starts out a little dopey and then he gets just more manly and hotter as the series goes on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The White Walkers become more prevalent. Yeah, Sam too. The dire wolves start out as pups and then they just get bigger and shaggier and more deadly. And John's coat gets shaggier too. It feels like (laughs) (laughs) even the the zombies, the whites, they, they start like in this uh, or last week, they, he, that guy almost just seemed like a person who added the flu or something, but then they get all skeletal and decrepit and, uh, Aria, she's more deadly as the show goes on. I'm sure there's more examples, but it's just, I just like how everything seems to ramp up as, as it goes along. Yeah. Everything's accelerating exponentially. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's pretty wild. The last one is uh, jockeying for the throne. That's a theme throughout the show's called Game of Thrones. And I just kind of really realized, you know, looking back with all the battling over the crown over the course of the series, especially these first few seasons, it's really Cersei who always comes out on top. The one who a lot of book readers, I think the book makes her seem kind of incompetent, but if you look at it, she married Robert and then fathered or fathered mothered a child with her lover her brother, uh, but kept it from Robert. So that's um, Joffrey. And then she has Robert killed. We find out later it was because of her and Joffrey takes the throne and then uh, you know, even though Stannis and Rob and, you know, Renly and everybody are trying to, even Ned are trying to thwart her, she comes out on top of all of all of them. Joffrey dies and Tom and two both kind of indirectly because of Marjorie. Joffrey, because Marjorie's mother, Elena, poisoned him rather than have him be married to his daughter, her daughter. But then Tom and kills himself when, you know, Marjorie dies 
out of sadness. And then still that leads to Cersei becoming queen. So <laughs> this is Game of Thrones. And I'd say at least up until this point, right before the last six episodes, Cersei has won the Game of Thrones. Yeah, I mean, definitely. <laughs> She's the reigning champion for sure. Yeah. Um, I, we had the podcast meetup last weekend in Atlanta. And uh, I was telling people jokingly that that our podcast was like Game of Thrones and that I, I employed a hostile takeover. Yeah, that's why they call it Game of Microphones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it tends to, hey, the game's not over yet. Yep, that's uh, that's one thing that's fun about the rotating uh, co-hosts as well. Yeah. So it gives you that vibe. And that's it. All right. So my number three is the Gift of Longclaw, which yeah, is a really amazing cool. moment. Um, John is waiting for Lord Commander Mormont and he walks in and says, what does, when does Eamon think you'll be able to use that hand soon? He says, good, you'll be ready for this then. And he busts out this badass sword and um, it's just a really powerful moment. He looks like he's like brimming with excitement to be able to give this sword to John. Like he's almost honored to do it as he tells him that um, the Mormons have held the, the blade, carried it for five centuries. Um, and you can, he's sort of caressing the, the handle of the, of the sword and it, you can tell it's something really important to him. And um, he tells him that you know, its its name is Longclaw. That that works just as well for a wolf as it does a bear. So we had a, a, the pommel changed to a, to be a wolf for John because it was more appropriate. And <laughs> it's just a really cool moment. Like, were you excited yeah. to see this again? Absolutely. I mean, if there's any uh, question about Jor Mormont's estimation of Jon Snow and and the reason why he had him be a steward this should settle it. You know, that right. Valerian steel is incredibly special and this sword has been in his family. We know how important family is in the series. So yeah. it really set, but I mean, there is the fact that John saved his life last episode. I think that played into it. Yeah, big, absolutely. Still, still. It's a yeah, big deal. It's huge. I mean, Tywin Lannister has been trying to acquire a Valyrian steel, just one Valyrian steel sword for his family for his entire life. Essentially <laughs> um, his brother like r sailed off to, old Valyria to the to the smoking ruins to try to track down their Lannister blade bright roar and never returned um so for Jor Mormont to just give John a, a bastard sword was worth of, of Valyrian steel um is huge it's just not yeah. like anything small it's important and I like that he mentioned it was meant for Jorah but Jorah brought dishonor on the family but also uh, uh that he had the grace to leave it before he left. So right. it sounds like Jorah had an opportunity to, you know, make off with it. And because we know that he is an honorable person, actually, that right. he probably said, okay, I don't deserve this here. He left it. Yeah. He, um, yeah. yeah. And it's only reinforced his sense of honor um, when he has the opportunity to claim it again, when John offers yeah. it to him and he turns it down and says that what well, you know the it was meant for John essentially um yeah. that he forfeited his right to claim it yeah and seeing this again makes that scene uh it, it's good to see this again after just having that scene and see, seeing that scene in season 7 where John offers it back to him and he doesn't take it yeah i love all the season 1 throwbacks in season 7 mm -hmm. like, there's so many good references and it really like ties the series together um sort of yeah. brought it full circle before everything gets torn apart in the final season <laughs> You know what I mean? I always love when a show pays respect to the stuff that's gone on before. 
Yeah. Like that. Me too. It just feels good for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, now that we know John is more of a, of a main character in game of Thrones than, than we thought back then, because back in the first season, it still felt like Ned was the main character and here were some other important characters. Yeah. We're just like and, seeing what's up with his family essentially. Yeah. And then when, when Ned got killed, it still felt like, okay, this is more of an ensemble show. Rob, we thought, I thought, okay, Rob's going to be the new guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but now that we're seven seasons in, it feels like uh, John is, is, John and Danny are the main characters of and the show. And as we covered in our news section, John recently overtook Tyrion with the most seconds on screen. Um, oh, wow. Making him like and, a de facto main character, sort of. Yeah, so he feels like the hero. So handing over the sword to him in retrospect, it just fits right in with that hero's journey kind of feel of it. Yeah, and we've Luke seen being given him, his lightsaber. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen him kill White Walkers with this thing. So This is destiny. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like it's <laughs> something like metaphysical and like amazing has just happened. All right. So what's your number two, my friend? Let's talk about uh, Varys a little bit. So uh, I think we've already been saying this, but even now in the, at this point, I still didn't know if I could trust Varys, mm-hmm. um, especially with what happened with Littlefinger betraying Ned and Ned. You can see Ned doesn't know if he can trust Varys. So so I don't either. But looking back on it, uh, he says he's an actor. He, he was brought up as an actor and that his role right now is to be sly and without scruples. Yeah, sly, obsequious and without yeah. scruples. <laughs> Great. But but he says it's a role. And so if you take that at face value, that means I'm playing this role, but actually I'm a good person. And it turns out that's pretty much who he is, you know? Yeah. As far as we know, it seems yeah, to be true. As far as we know. Yeah. Um, you can't ever take anything for granted, but, um, the one thing is when Ned asked, you know, could you free me? And he goes, yeah, but I won't because I'm no hero that, that was like, oh, well, maybe you could have done something even better right there. Uh, but I was wondering why he didn't do it. I was thinking maybe he would just be afraid of getting caught and having to, you know, losing all his power and maybe dying or whatever, like just fear of the consequences. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, I yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that's that's I mean that's what I always thought as well, that he just knew it would end badly. Yeah, but it was sort of like, oh well, that's not so cool. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Him, but you did. He's just like, nah, no, nah, I'm not gonna. That's great. And it sort of foreshadows the reversal, um, the opposite decision being made when Jamie decides to free Tyrion. Uh, from yeah. the same black cells in a couple right. seasons, which is pretty cool. Um, Varys, though, like you said, um, seems to be a very consistent character, and he's the only character that has anything that he imagined coming true actually happen seven seasons later that I can think of. Right yeah. off the bat, in like episode two, when they get to um, two or three, when they get to King's Landing, Arya witnesses him in the dungeons, walking along with Illyrio Mapatis, talking about the Dothraki and wanting to have them ride across West, across the narrow sea to invade Westeros. So he's been planning on this from the beginning. And then at the end of season six, the last episode of season six, we see at the end, Varys standing on a Targaryen ship heading West across the narrow sea. So like, he's the only person who's had the foresight to, in the planning to, um, to execute and influence events to exactly where he wants them. Uh, <laughs> X number of years into the future. Yeah. Which is pretty and amazing. 
you know, you, uh, I think you've mentioned a couple of times that George Martin said, <clears throat> George R. R. Martin said that, you know, there's two characters that he would never do point of view chapters with, and that's Littlefinger and Varys. Right. Yeah. And, and potentially now, others. Now we know that, I mean, Littlefinger's story is done, um, but I think he he didn't want to reveal because both of these characters are the mysterious shady characters that you don't really know quite where they're coming from. And but what is now that? We know yeah. Littlefinger's a good guy. I mean, a bad guy. And, and that's what maybe he didn't want to reveal. And we know Varys is a good guy. Well, we think that maybe the reason that. we never get a point of view is because that's still in question. We're just yeah, now so lulled it into it. Be. That'll be even more I really surprising. Don't think so <laughs> at this point, it feels to me like he's proved himself. But like I said, you can't really take anything for granted, but just, you know, for argument's sake, let's say, you know, maybe Varys is, is, is they the, were yin and yang. He's the, the light yeah. side of the equation compared to Peter's dark side. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That's pretty, pretty interesting. <laughs> I really wonder, I would, I would love to have a Varys point of view chapter. Mm-hmm. That'd be, that'd be amazing. Um, yeah, there's there also in the books, there's like other storylines happening and other things that may suggest that there's more to Varys than meets the eye as well. Okay. Um, but it's mm-hmm. like, none of that stuff is even included in the, in the, the TV show. So it, it's mm-hmm. totally possible that they're different or that in both cases, there's nothing more right. to it, <laughs> which is yeah. it's fascinating. It'll be interesting to see how they, uh, how they compare once both series are done. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about Varys? Nope. One thing that would be cool if we got more of in the TV show is uh, a little interesting thing from the books is he's he is a master of disguise. Um, and we never really get that in the show. Like he always no. he always is extravagantly dressed and everything when we see him. And that's his like shtick. He's like he said, he's a master actor. So whenever he wants to be seen, he's he's like puts on this performance of varies. And then on the side, he'll sneak around wearing like beggars clothes with fake warts and like other like crazy stuff to disguise mm-hmm. him. So he can do all this nefarious activities like without being noticed. Um it's pretty pretty interesting element of his character that hasn't really been explored on the TV show. Um, but yeah, read those books, people. Mm-hmm. Um, my number two was Ned's Sacrifice, which we kind of already talked about. So I will jump to talking about Tyrion instead. Um, we get a lot of interesting Tyrion moments in this episode. <laughs> we find out that he uh, he's going to be in the vanguard of the battle <laughs> and he's, mm. he's sure that this is a, a plot of his father to have him killed um which yeah and it gives, probably is yeah yeah totally and he, he and says Bron uh, says stay low that was my favorite yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stay low and he's like oh great thanks Brown. you know thanks for the tip you know <laughs> um he's the great line to his father though surely there are, are ways to have me killed that would be less detrimental to the war effort you know and Tyr- <laughs> tywin just kind of smirks and like doesn't even deny that he totally wants Tyrion right. to be killed here yeah, no more discussion <laughs> One of our listeners is going to bring up in the Ravens Calls area section that um, the appearance of Shay, she speculates, may, she may be a plant, essentially, of Tywin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was paying attention when we get the introduction of Shay here, and it is it is very sudden and suspicious. Um, you know, Tyrion says, where did, where did she come from? And Bronn is very vague about the answer. He doesn't give a name at all. Um, gives a brief description and, and it says a ginger a few tenths down. 
but um, it's entirely possible, I think, that Shea could be a plant here. And um, it would be a, a sad irony if it was because then that means that Tyrion is telling this tragic story of his past where they planted this girl and made him believe that she loved him and he's telling it to another plant. Right. And I was watching <laughs> Shay's reactions while, while he was telling the story and she seems yeah. like she's paying very close attention mm-hmm. for like what, what turns Tyrion's gears, like how she can manipulate him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I, I don't think so because I think the real um, heart of the story with, Shay is that they did kind of fall for each other, but then she was bought off. And so I don't think she was bought off until, but you know what? I guess it wouldn't really matter. Even if she was bought off the whole time and Tyrion fell for her and then found out that she betrayed him, it would still have the same impact whether she was, it doesn't matter what the timing was. Right. And, and she could have been bought from the start, but also have Mm -hmm. fallen for Tyrion herself. Um, And then, yeah. yeah, love spurned you know um right hell hath no fury <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah so that's pretty interesting she accepts his proposal to fuck him like it's the last night of his life <laughs> um and she seems pretty stoked about it because she'll like, get all the gold she didn't really laugh at his jokes though <laughs> i don't think he should give her as much money <laughs> right and uh the the line the next morning when when he sleeps in for he sleeps through the war and um what was it? The funniest line. She says, uh, if I die, weep for me to, to Shay. And she says, you'll be dead. How will you know? Yeah. <laughs> he just like, kind of nonchalant he, about yeah, his it. head <laughs> kind of rolls to facing forward again. And he just has a stunned look in his face. Like, fuck. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> great. So he, um, he, yeah. And that's, oh yeah. That story about Taisha is just ruthless to Tyrion is, and or Tywin is just fucking vicious, man. Braun responds to that saying, I'd, I would have killed the man who did that to me, um, foreshadowing Tyrion actually killing Tywin, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah. I mean, what I like about Tyrion is, you know, he says, I have a, uh, I'm fun to be around or whatever. I'm good company. She goes, who told you that women you pay? Yeah, that was but amazing too. I just get the feeling he's confident in his, in himself. And he knows that when people first meet him, they'll see his, uh, what he looks like. And, and some of them are a lot of women might be turned off, but that's why he likes prostitutes because he pays them and overcomes that initial barrier. And then they do seem to have a good time with him. Right. Roz seem to. And so he knows, I think he, he feels confident in, in his personality. You know, he's telling jokes to, um, later on to, um, oh man, the slave guy, uh, shit, I forgot their names, but you know, um, Dan, Daenerys's people. The oh yeah. When, on. um, right. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Missandei and Grey Missandei. Worm. Yeah. And Grey Worm. Yeah. And, uh, I thought you were talking about to the people who took him as a slave. At first. Oh yeah. He's always telling jokes to everybody. Yeah. yeah. yeah that too. And he wins them over even in this episode. <laughs> a dwarf sized cock. Think again. The, <laughs> yeah. Or when he's talking about, they say, how, uh, how do you want to die? And he goes, when I'm 80 with a yeah, yeah. cock in a woman's mouth, oh, let's keep it around <laughs> and he can entertain children. But, uh, so he knows he's got something going on. Um, and, and he, he see, he doesn't seem angry about, um, being, you know, uh, uh, 
judged by his appearance. He seems sad about it, though. He's got a deep sadness to him. Yeah, he's yeah, disappointed for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a great analysis of Tyrion and uh, the way, like his, um, the way he breaks the barrier with the horrors, and then they discover who he really is and end up liking him. Just yeah. like with Roz, like you said, uh, it's a. I don't think I've ever heard anybody really mention that before. It's a really good analysis, I think. Yeah, and he might not get to know get to know somebody else because they won't give him the chance. Yep. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, and Shay, this is the first appearance of Shay. She's from the <laughs> free city of Lorath, I read. That's the same place that at least the persona of Jack and Hagar came from. Oh, interesting. Um, but I read that <clears throat> her background was changed from Westerosi, which I guess it was in the novel. Um, huh. novels interesting I don't remember that to accommodate the actress Sibel Kakeli's German accent <clears throat> which she does she, French on the show oh yeah well it says she's German but maybe she has a French accent I don't know anyways we don't so she's she's telling uh, they're playing the truth game which is where you try to say something about the other person's past and if it's true they have to drink she keeps telling um, Tyrion to drink and I feel like after we know what ended up happening with her where she totally betrayed him that we also can't trust any of her answers in this drinking game and I don't think we ever really learned her true past anything about her uh, yeah. yeah but I can't I, it was hard to look at her in this episode and not think about what she ultimately <clears throat> did to him you know yeah and we get to see mm-hmm. a um you know, a little bit of her ruthlessness come out too. And she says, don't talk about my father and mother ever, or I'll carve your eyes from your head. Yeah. And she just Bronn has an like, anger to her. Yeah. She's right? definitely I was has never a ferocity to Shay. I never thought she was an attractive person because she seems just to have this underlying anger to her. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I think you and I should play the truth game. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Just one, one round. One round of it. You want to go first or should I? Uh, I can't think of anything, so you, okay. you go ahead. I haven't thought of anything ahead of time, but let me think. Uh, I think that you at one time um, drove recklessly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, you're right about that. I think oh, uh, yeah, woo. my... Uh, <laughs> My top speed was 145 in the, uh, <laughs> my BMW 7 Series 88. I had a feeling. And on the section of 395 in Connecticut, that's like a three mile straightaway. And uh, let me tell you, when you're going 145, it looks, it feels like you, t- first of all, you touch the wheel and your car flies uh, from lane to lane. Um, and yeah, it's a little uh, like shaky, right? Or, yeah, and if somebody uh, else is driving highway speed, and you pass them going that, going that fast, it's like they're stopped and you're going highway speed. Which <laughs> is pretty crazy. Okay, your turn. Oh, man. I feel like you've, you've traveled a lot. Didn't you already know that? Well, yeah, true. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that <laughs> I'll give it to you. Yeah, that's I, true. I knew you went uh, to Walker Stalker uh, Cities. Uh, uh, oh, no, no. Okay, well, yeah, I've been to um, <clears throat> India and uh, Thailand and all around Europe and stuff. So yeah, I'm drinking. nice. <laughs> oh yeah. I got a drink too. Uh, nice. 
I feel like that was a really weak, weak statement, but Hey, you got it though. Not everyone's traveled. Yeah. In fact, here's what happened is, um, years ago I did, uh, I was on online dating and I met this woman and she was pretty fantastic. And we were out on our date and she asked me about traveling and I said, yeah, I want to go here and there and there. And she's like, where, where have you been so far? And I'm like, well, nowhere really. I went to Canada and I went down to Mexico and she's like, huh, I always wonder when people say they want to travel, but they haven't. <laughs> and it really got me. And then we didn't go on any more dates and I'm like, she's got a good point. I need to fucking get out and go. So then I went to <laughs> India pretty quickly after that. And it was an amazing trip and I kind of got the bug. Nice. <laughs> That's so cool. So yeah, Shay takes her turn in the drinking game and we hear the horrible story about Taisha and how her, how the silver was, you know, the coins were slipping through her fingers and rolling onto the floor. Um, and fucking shit. I would have totally killed Tywin too. I'm amazed that Tyrion didn't kill Tywin a lot sooner. Um, Jesus. Yeah. He's, he's an <laughs> asshole. We didn't mention him, but he's, he's a big asshole. Yeah. He's a, he's an epic asshole. <laughs> um, so yeah, we get the next day he wakes up and he goes out and promptly gives a little speech and everybody's super stoked. We get to see Shaga who is <laughs> at one point also time makes a point like, well, they're going to be the Vanguard. They better you know be worth all this steel we've given them. And Shaga has two huge double sided axes that, that he, uh, that he requested personally um, for their, their steel hall that in exchange for Tyrion's life, so he's got these big axes. He bangs them off each other and everybody's chanting half man, half man. As Tyrion tells them, let's witness. And you guys go on to take back the veil. And he, this, he just made their fucking like their century. You know what I mean? They got yeah. more from this chance encounter in the woods with Tyrion Lannister than they've, than they've earned in decades of operating and, you know, and, and uh, as hill tribesmen of the veil. Um, so everybody's super stoked and he's forward to, to battle, you know, and they start running forward and immediately just overtake Tyrion who finds himself in a sea of <laughs> rushing barbarians at waist height. And he promptly gets boop, duffed on the dome piece by one of the mallets with which he hooked up the tribesmen, um, which is so funny. And he yeah. just gets taken and out just immediately. Yeah, they're every trampling on him and whatnot. He wakes up on a gurney to Bronn saying, you're a shit warrior. And he says, I'm alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, which is great. And then I like how in the aftermath of the battle, you still see like them, these tribesmen finishing off anybody who's right, left. Right, right, right. And his, uh, Tyrion's reaction is nice to see them getting along <laughs> <laughs> instead of fighting amongst themselves as he was describing earlier in the episode, right. which is hilarious. Um, yeah, and in, I'll tell you, in the books, uh, you're going to want to read this scene of this battle from the books because there are high stakes involving Tyrion. And uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but you got to read it because it's awesome. Um, how far are you in the books? I can't remember. I'm on page one. (laughs) Oh, really? You never read any? (laughs) Nope. Oh, that's so funny. Um, so yeah, that pretty much wraps up Tyrion's whole story arc in this show. We get to learn a little bit about his past, how he's susceptible to a a beautiful woman. Um, he did a very, I think it was a beautiful acting job. He did describing Taisha and the way that she made him feel, and everything, um, how he was self-conscious, but forgot everything else when he was with Taisha and 
and just able to be himself and everything. Um, and I feel like it was probably a little bit of a little bit meta for Tyrion to be giving that speech and how he would worry about women's reactions being a, a dwarf, the, you know, Peter Dinklage himself. And I felt like as he was giving the speech, it, the camera was focusing on Shay and she you could see her reacting to Tyrion. But I felt like she was also probably reacting to, to Dinklage giving the speech as well. So it seemed like a really genuine um, reaction to that part that's of the speech a, for me. That's a sign that she's she is genuine to yeah. me. Yeah. Well, I, there's no reason she couldn't be empathetic, but also ruthless at the same time. Yeah, I guess. Um. So yeah the 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 jury's still uh, deliberating with <laughs> with Shay. I don't mm-hmm. think we'll ever get a real solid answer. Um. But there's you know merits to all side of the arguments with dealing with her for sure. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. We know what she's capable of, so. Yeah. Extreme love and lust and extreme uh, hate and betrayal. betrayal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. She's full spectrum domination. Um, <laughs> you could say. That sounds like a good band name. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that pretty much wraps up my number two. How about you? Number one. Uh, mine was Tyrion, and we pretty well covered that. So, I'm just going to skip over mine because, yeah. All right, and mine was um, Ned's sacrifice, um, and Danny was my fallback. Um, so we pretty much covered Danny as well. Um, so I think we're good. Any other notes you want to talk about? Yeah, just a couple of little things. Uh, the, the episode was written by Benny and Weiss. I think they probably felt like this was an important one, and they wanted to cover it. Nice. Yeah, did a good job. Did a good job. I thought it was interesting uh, how I, we learned that Bron has been north of the Wall. Yeah. Why'd you go up there? Work. <laughs> yeah. I love Brock. <laughs> uh, I didn't remember seeing Kevin Lannister in the midst of, of battle, you know, later on when he was around in the council and just kind of grousing all the time. So seeing him now and, and making that connection, it's, he seemed much more in his element on the field and more yeah. alive. Yeah, definitely. And this is like the second or third episode we've seen Kevin Lannister as well. Um, and I also, having seen him later on in the series, had forgotten entirely that he was featured at all yeah. in the first season. So, um, yeah, it sort of it was impactful for me to realize that he was around as well the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I, this is last episode, but I just love the first uh, appearance of Tywin is is skinning that deer. Yeah. It just seems so brutal. I mean, it's what you do, but I read that he didn't, you know, he, he had an hour's practice with a butcher before he did that scene. It was an actual deer. Yeah. And he, he looks like, he knows he's knows what he's doing too. So good job. Mm-hmm. Good job to Charles dance. And then the last thing we kind of touched on it, but yeah, the statue that, uh, that Arya climbs up is of Baylor Targaryen, who was a Targaryen king known for religious piety and pacifism. And he's the one who ordered the sept of Baylor's construction later blown up by Cersei while everyone is inside. Yep. And didn't he die um, fasting for like an extraordinary number of days or something being is that naive, right? being uh, naive. Like yeah. Religious act. And he just killed himself. Yeah, essentially. And Oops. it's sort of similar to, to a naivety killing him um, in a similar manner to Ned and various other characters in the story. So being too, too good. Yeah. Too pious, too good. It sort of fits Mm -hmm. that this happens uh, with a Baylor's sept on the steps and whatnot. (laughs) All right. We're going to take a little break. Stay with us, everybody.
All right, we are back with the news. Take it away, Jay. Okay, it's from an article by IBT. I'm not sure what that is. <clears throat> International that Business was... Times. Okay. It <laughs> says, uh, Game of Thrones actor Jason Momoa confirms secret wedding to Lisa Bonet. So Jason Momoa has finally confirmed reports that he has tied the knot with longtime love Lisa Bonet in a secret ceremony. I thought Ooh. it was already known that they were married. No, I guess not. Huh? I, I, I was unaware. I don't know. But it's secret, okay. secret marriage, okay. kind of like uh, Rhaegar and Lyanna. I knew they were together. Uh, speaking to Entertainment Tonight's Carly Steele, the former Game of Thrones actor admitted that he had hoped they could keep the wedding news to themselves for a lot longer. So I guess it was a secret. He says, I thought it would have stayed that way, but some asshole leaked it and I will find you. I feel like we should be talking about this. But anyways, uh, the couple who have dated since 2005 said I do at their home in Topanga, California in early October and a traditional Maori haka was also performed as part of the celebrations. According to U.S. Weekly, Bonet looked beautiful on her big day, of course. Momoa, who was born in Honolulu, Hawaii, wore an unbuttoned white shirt and a lei. His famous locks were styled into a man bun. (laughs) (laughs) This is is just getting crazier and crazier. I know. (laughs) Next thing we're going to find out, he like pulled out a deer heart and there was like people fucking over in the corner or something. The haka (laughs) is pretty interesting too. Remember, uh, do you remember what the haka is? That Maori dance? Uh-uh. It's like a super aggressive like uh, uh, thing that MMA fighters do. For instance, uh, there's a video oh, wow. that I mean, it's it's, it's kind of similar to his things he was m- movements and stuff he was doing in his rant in the Dothraki tent there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, in the audition tape for Momoa to get this part, he did a Maori haka ritual, um, oh. which is like pretty crazy and intense. So this is a wild wedding, man. It's kind of like a Dothraki yeah. wedding. How many people died? They definitely picked the right guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it goes on. Amongst the guests was Zoe Kravitz, Bonet's daughter with ex-husband Lenny Kravitz, and newlyweds Michael Fassbender and Alicia Vikander. Oh, man, they got married. Uh, they attained their marriage license at the Los Angeles County Registrar, Recorder, slash County Clerk's Office on October 2nd. Although the couple only recently walked down the aisle, Momoa has often referred to the Cosby show alum as his wife. Okay, that must have been what I heard. They shared uh, two kids, daughter Lola, 10, and son Nakoa Wolf, 8. The actor said, you know what, gee, it's just a gathering of our families and a celebrating our love. The actor who played Cal Drogo on Game of Thrones can next be seen as superhero Aquaman in the new film Justice League. I'm so stoked. Yeah. Singing praises about Nicole Kidman, who plays his mother in the film, Momoa said, I love working with Oscar winners. It was amazing. There are not enough amazing things I could say about her. She was beautiful, and it was just an honor for her to play my mom. <laughs> Justice League is set to release on November 17th in the UK. And the same date in the U.S. So that is eight more days as we're recording this. Nice. Mm -hmm. Our next item is from Winter is Coming. Game of Thrones Theory Corner. Isaac Hempstead Wright thinks Bran is caught in a time paradox. Theories and speculation are the lifeblood of the Game of Thrones fan community, but it's not a phenomenon restricted to fans, as the stars can also get in on the fun. Isaac Hempstead Wright, Bran Stark, isn't an all-knowing seer, but he plays one on TV, so (laughs) (laughs) so theorizing about the deeper mysteries of the show is right up his alley. Wright revealed an interesting one to time. 
I like the idea that it's actually a full circle and Bran becomes a three-eyed raven that was in his dreams when he was younger. I like the idea that it's a deterministic destiny-driven thing where the old wise man went back in time as a three-eyed raven to tell the young Bran to go north to the cave, and it's, it's a paradox. Well, now I'm just depressed. Wright's theory could mean that Bran sent himself to his own death at the hands of the Night King. Can't the Starks have anything nice? <laughs> Although the... Uh, yeah, yeah, true. Hmm. Well, the the uh, the Three-Eyed Raven is dead, which would be himself. Oh, I see. Got it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he, he would be dead, yeah. <laughs> Although the old Three-Eyed Raven's final words could lend some support to the theory. The time has come for you to become me. We hope he meant figuratively, though. Either way, Wright remains a huge fan of, well, fan theories. Discussing the show with fans is one of the highlights of his stardom. My favorite fan interactions are always when someone has something to say about the show or some kind of theory, because I'm a big fan of the show as well. I think I speak for the whole cast when I say that we all love this television series as much as everyone else does. So when someone comes up to me and gives me a theory or asks me my opinion on something, I love being able to talk about that. We admire and share Wright's enthusiasm for the show. Discussing theories with fans might be a paradox of its own, though. <laughs> How do you discuss the show without revealing all of your inside knowledge? Seeing as Wright has surely read the ending by now, can we take it to mean that that this is not how the show ends? Not that we would complain if Wright let something slip. Yeah, did he say this after he had read the end? If so, then it's probably not the end or else he's in trouble. <laughs> or maybe, I mean, the end, as far as we know, like when this series ends, he's still his current age. So he might have to live right. a lot longer before being able to make the determination that he's the same guy. Unless you scanned all of time. Uh, <laughs> who knows? If, uh, yeah, man, that hearing that he likes talking about that stuff makes me think we should try to get an interview with him. That'd be cool. That'd be awesome. That'd be really cool. Next article by Bustle Magazine. Dolores Ed will be in Game of Thrones season eight. So the Night's Watch might not be done just yet. I don't know why uh, anyone would think the Night's Watch would be done, though. It says the wall came down in the season seven finale of Game of Thrones, but that doesn't mean that the Night's Watch is off duty just yet. In an interview <laughs> with the Chronicle Live promoting men's health awareness, actor Ben Crompton revealed that Lord Commander, Commander Dolores Ed will be in Game of Thrones season eight. This may not seem like big news on the surface, but it reveals that despite the Night's King and his army bringing down the wall, the Night's Watch will still have some sort of role to play in the final season. It's important to remember that the White Walkers chose a portion of the wall that was put out of the way in order to begin their march on Westeros. As Compton explained in, in his interview, insert your best ac uh, accent, Duncan. Okay, you read that part. <laughs> oh, shit, I don't, I don't know if I can do a dollar a <laughs> Uh, Eastwatch has been penetrated. It's the only, <laughs> it's the one by the sea. So Eastwatch is broken. Ed is manning Castle Black. <laughs> uh, so despite the carnage in the finale, that means there were, are still men of the Night's Watch alive. You can bet that they'll either be the first people south of the wall to face the White Walkers. Yeah, I'm sure they will. <clears throat> or, whoops, or they'll be, uh, what does that say? Heading to Winterfell to help John and the rest of the North deal with coming threat. Fingers crossed that Ed will live long enough to reunite with John. I would not count on that. I hope so. <laughs> I hope it happens. So. I like Dolores Ed. 
Filming, yeah, me too. Filming on season eight began in October, so or it's like right now. So it's still early days yet. But Crompton did reveal that he was at the script read through that his co-star Kit Harrington mentioned last month. That means that whether or not he makes it to the final episode, at least Ed knows how this story ends. While he was appearing on the British chat series The One Show, Harrington discussed the emotional table read of the final season. He said I cried at the end. It wasn't anything in particular that happens. You have to remember I've done eight years of it. I think no one really cares about Game of Thrones more than us. It's been an institution longer than any other institution I've been in. School, drama school, anything. (laughs) Crompton didn't mention whether or not he teared up during the reading, but he did reveal that fans are in for some exciting television. I can just tell you it's brilliant. Honestly, there's a couple of things there that are like nothing else that's been seen on telly. Awesome. <laughs> Crompton told the site. And since this is Game of Thrones, there's no reason to believe the actors exaggerate. Exactly. Like when they say that stuff about um, other shows, I'll say you kind of wonder if they're just hyping it. But with Game of Thrones, I, I believe it. Right. Yeah. Like we um, mm-hmm. we saw a couple of seasons of Walking Dead act- actors hyping stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And it was good, but it wasn't great though. Like it wasn't like, like next yeah. level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this is going to be next level. Yeah. Oh man. I can't even imagine. It's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. All right. That's it for the news. It's time for Raven's calls. All right. Time for Raven's calls. Okay. Carolyn Grenier says, RIP Ned. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Wendy Ott Eppers. Hi, Wendy says, I love the opening scene with various torchlight reflecting in Ned's eyes. Such a momentary thing, but it just goes to show the care they have into putting, uh, to put into every inch of film. Agreed. My theory, yeah, uh, my theory is on on the witch is that she really had no power at all. Everything that happened would have happened without her. Drogo got blood poisoning and fell into a vegetative state. Danny lost her baby Wait, because <laughs> no, I can't believe that because we heard demon sounds and <laughs> words coming. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Danny lost her baby because of the trauma being pushed of, of being pushed to the ground, right? Kotho just like, callously just throws her to the ground yeah, there and she lands right in her, her stomach. Um which leads us to the conclusion that the witch was talking out her ass and Danny and John can have little dragon babies. I believe that. Hashtag Wendy theories. Mm. The end, she goes on, is just so epically sad. Ned looking for Arya one last time and not finding her. Sansa just completely falling apart and Arya almost frozen. They did it so expertly to squeeze out every last drop of despair in that scene. Yep. Robin Young Sanders says, Ned, oh! <laughs> You're getting all, the, all of those ones. That's great. Karen Farr. Karen Farr says, the fourth time around was just as hard as the first. Ned scanning the crowd for another glimpse of Arya just to make sure she's okay is just heartbreaking. I'm not sure if you have covered this before, but are we to assume that Shay was planted by Tywin from the beginning? Tyrion asking where Bronn and Shay sounded, uh, where Bronn found Shay sounded so suspicious this time around. And this is our listener that I was referring to yeah. beforehand, uh, Karen. Karen. And wow, yeah, it's interesting uh, question. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, maybe, maybe she was a plant. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel, Rachel Campbell says, Ned, no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> says, uh, one, expect nothing from Walder Frey and you'll never be disappointed. Walder Frey is easily one of my favorite characters, even if he is a dirty old creep that names all of his sons after himself. I especially love how hard Catelyn tries not to roll her eyes at him when he's being himself. Yep. I enjoyed rewatching this scene. Uh, knowing what is to come for literally everyone in that room. Yeah. Tragic. Theon snickering while Kat tells Rob about the deal made me want to slap him right in his stupid little mustache. Damn it, Theon. <laughs> why are you like this? Also, I can't help but think that this must have been what became of Argus Filch after he got fired from Hogwarts and decided to make a new name for himself in Westeros. <clears throat> Two, that's a man's sword and it takes one to yield it. Long claw. John immediately lets all his friends play with it like a toy. I, the Game of Thrones. I know. I was like, oh, I don't know. Do you want to really give that to those guys and let them go off of it? <laughs> the last thing Mormon said, go put your sword somewhere safe. Safe. I know. <laughs> and how, how did they know he had it? Let's see it. Like he just Probably left and right away. Um, um, What's his face? The Smith was working on it and making the new pommel and everything. So uh, some people must have known about it and they yeah. just were responsible or cool enough to keep it a secret from John. <laughs> the Game of Thrones version of borrowing your dad's car and promising not to joyride. <laughs> also, if we were to play a drinking game where, game where we took a shot every time John's mouth was hanging open this episode, we would have all blacked out before we got to appreciate all the moments between him and Maester Great Uncle Amen. Yeah. R.I.P. Amen. You were too pure for this world. Yup. And three quote: If we do it your way, Kingslayer, you'd win. We're not doing it your way. Yes, yes Rob. But which one of us is still alive for season eight? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like uh, to me like Jamie genuinely harbors no ill will towards Rob, but just wants to avoid the massive bloodshed he knows is coming otherwise. Well, yeah, except I'm sure that Rob would probably have not survived that conversa- confrontation. Oh, definitely not. No but chance. You, you may be right. He may just be being practical. Let's save some lives here. Yeah. For love is the death of duty. Maester Amon says of Ned's honor, quote, he's one man in 10,000. Ned went against his own judgment to say what he thought might spare his life, but in the end, he still ended up dying. I feel like a strong theme of this episode are the ideas of honor, sacrifice, and duty. As we finally see different parts of the story begin to weave together, we also see the characters in a place of relative peace for the last time. The silence at the end of the episode while the pigeons flew overhead was indeed the last calm before the storm. Such a fantastic setup for the season finale. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Carolyn Ann Collins says, we're giving the final scene its appropriate stunned silence. Must have just finished it. And we're sitting there like you and Jenny. Yeah, <laughs> we were just like, oh shit. Yeah. Bridget McNeese, McNeese says, I didn't watch the show when this episode initially aired, but I remember everyone going batshit crazy on the internet that the main character was killed off. When I finally came to my senses a couple of years later and watched the show and started reading the books, it was still really heartbreaking to see Ned's fate. I really like Sean Bean as an actor, but his characters don't usually have very good luck. (laughs) So funny. Yeah, like you were saying. That was the thing, too, that losing him is um, he was so good in it and such a strong presence that I felt like, oh, shit, is the show still going to be good without him? Right. But it was. Oh man, he was a really strong presence. There's a moment in his interaction with Varys this episode that where he seemed like a really strong uh, character too. Um, mm-hmm. 
Becky Price says, I didn't start watching Becky. Game of Thrones until, hey Becky, until after this season had aired and I was dumb enough to look at IMDb after the first couple episodes. Since I saw that Sean Bean was listed for only nine episodes, I had a pretty good inclination that that Ned was done for. That Ned was done for. Even so, it was such an emotional scene to behold. I loved that they showed the emotional reactions from both daughters so wonderfully acted. R.I.P. Ned. <laughs> Jillian Moreau says a haiku. Hey, Jillian, a haiku review for you. Rob captures Jamie. Cal Drogo has now fallen. Poor Ned lost his head. Oh, <laughs> uh, Kira Brown. <laughs> who posted a uh, she posted a gif of Sansa drinking at the during the Battle of the Blackwater and said it says I'm going to need a lot of booze to handle this shit. <laughs> Nick Wickens has a gif of Ned being beheaded, followed by gifs of shocked reactions and screaming. Uh, and he I says think, I think that generally sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, from our Patreon group rewatch, Brian Meloche says has anyone else noticed Tyrion's hair used to be more blonde in earlier seasons than it is now and it's true i've noticed that as well i think um there could be a couple reasons for that i mean obviously right off the bat they wanted all the the the, um the lannisters to be like super blonde for to play into the genetics thing with joffrey yeah but i feel like maybe letting his hair darken a bit could be a hint that he's actually a targaryen um yeah also, the further the Lannisters get from the Red Keep, the darker their hair gets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Classic. Kristen Howe says, I really hate this episode. I'm so glad it's <laughs> over. Now I feel I can watch the show without this hanging over our heads as something to come. Until, yeah, the Red Wedding. Come on. <laughs> oh, but we'll see his head hanging over our heads. Yeah. <laughs> oh, pretty I get soon. It. That's dark, Kristen. Oh. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have a couple emails. Our first one is from Arch Mesa Rennie, and it's about last week's episode. He says, here are my observations about sticking with the pointy end, which for what it's worth is my favorite bit of sword fighting instruction ever. Five, you may be a coward, Tarly, but you're not stupid. Throughout the series, Sam usually manages to capitalize on being underestimated. Not only is he not stupid, but he isn't really a coward either. He's just smart enough to be really scared. <laughs> the difference between him and others is that he admits his fear. Yeah, a coward is someone who's afraid and runs away, but a brave person is someone who's afraid and does something anyway. Isn't that what, um, there isn't there an interaction between Bran and Ned about that too, where Bran asks him, um, like if it's yeah, normal to be scared and he says, or to be brave or, yeah. and you can only be brave when you're scared. He says something yeah. like that Four ghost, such a cute little vicious dire wolf puppy and gray wind too. Three Sansa and the hound, the beginning of a beautiful friendship in a typically twisted game of their own sort of way Two Arya's first kill, but not oh, her yeah. last. <laughs> yeah. No, no, this is for last week when she kills the stable oh. boy. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> okay, and, that uh, was her second kill. Their second kill. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Two episodes in a row, her first and second kill. And number one, this is the first episode that was written by George R. R. Martin, and it opens with a slaughter. For somebody who's anti-war, he sure has an aptitude for killing off multitudes. Looking forward to your discussion. So thanks, Archmaster Rennie, and uh, you'll you can listen to last week's episode for our discussion. <laughs> Yeah, Rennie's cool. We met her in San Francisco. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've been looking forward to hopefully meeting her. From Caroline Collins, 
<clears throat> Hi, all. Hope I got this in on time for your recording. Each man has a role to play, said by Varys. I love this line. It's so vague, but it does explain Varys' point of view a little bit. He's not a major character, but he does make some big changes by forging alliances in season six and seven. And I think he's going to have a significant role to play in the last season. We've said before that he's one of those characters that knows a lot that we don't. And when he met the Red Priestesses in season six and seven, he seemed smug, then super wigged out when they revealed to him things he thought only he knew. Like the voice that spoke to him from the flames or the foretelling of his death from Lady Melisandre last season. Can't wait to see what happens. Me too. Yeah. <clears throat> Lots of foreshadowing and prep for the Red Wedding. Quote, enter the twins alone and he'll sell you out to the Lannisters or throw you in a dungeon or slit your throat. I have known Lone Walder since he was, I was a girl. He would never harm me unless there was a profit in it. <laughs> Walder Frey basically says to Catelyn that the smart move would be to hand over the Starks to the Lannisters. Arya was betrothed to Walder Frey. She probably killed him when she extinguished the entire Frey family without ever knowing that they were betrothed. Yeah, I forgot about that too. Love is the death of duty. Ned gives up honor for Sansa later in the episode. Amon even asks John which Ned would choose. Did he do the right thing? I wonder if it would have made any difference if Ned had stood his ground. Maybe Joffrey would have died sooner. If he'd stood his ground, how? why would Joffrey have died sooner? Um, I, good question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think Ned would have died sooner. <laughs> around the same time john is so brooding and woe is me thinking he's the only brother of the night's watch who has had to stand on the sidelines and watch family die without being able to do anything i just realized that amon and john are related he's his great grandnephew right something like that it's a good yeah. scene anyway learning amon's story without the targaryen connection now it's twice the dragon so twice as cool I have to admit, I was dreading watching this episode. I hate seeing Daenerys struggle with Drogo, just seeing her power and security ebb away with each scene. Of course, Ned's death and what Arya goes through is tough to watch too, but Tyrion's scenes make up for all the horrible stuff that happens because Peter Dinklage is just so amazing in this episode. He's, yeah, he's the best. Yeah. Everything from the incredibly polite storming out of his father's tent to the great confidence he has with Shay to the exposition we get about Tysha. Is that how you say it? Tysha? Yep. <laughs> The Tyrion and Bronn scenes totally carried me through the episode. Bronn says he knows a Bravosi knife game, the game of faces. <laughs> Work took Bronn north of the wall. Is he a deserter of the Night's Watch? This guy is just an enigma. <clears throat> yeah, that's says, a good question. There's a price only death pays for life. No, not your life, Khaleesi. Her eyes flick to Daenerys' baby bump. Once I begin to sing, no one can enter the tent. The dead will dance here tonight. It almost sounds like a dragon roar coming out of the tent. Thanks again for a great podcast and stay warm down there in New York. Winter is coming. Winter is here. <laughs> All right. We have a voicemail from Kira Brown. Hi. I'm not sure who's <laughs> co-hosting with Duncan this week, but hi, Duncan. And hi, person who's co-hosting with Duncan. Um, <laughs> hi. This is Kira. And... I really did not want to watch this episode. I've been preparing myself and putting it off and putting it off. I didn't even binge watch the last two episodes um, until now. And I had to cleanse my palate after this episode and watch the next three. Um, but here are my uh, top five. Number one, Varys and Ned. I don't understand what the purpose is for Varys to save Ned. Varys knows if he saves him, 
Ned. He's going to go to the wall where John, I mean, Aegon, <laughs> is going to be. So, again, why does that matter to Varys? Is it because Ned will tell John that he is the true heir? If that's the case, then Varys knows that Ned knows that John is a Targaryen. And yes, Varys, it is a pity. It's such a pity that John could have had another ally to guard him, but would that have had him turn out the way that he is now? Number two, <gasps> Walder fucking Frey. Number three, oh, Amen. Number four, Jesus, Danny and Drogo. Mary Mazder had one job. You had one job, Mary. And I don't understand how people that are nomadic don't know how to build doors. That should be something that's pretty simple. You can build a tent, but you can't build a door. <laughs> I, 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 I don't understand. And lastly, but most definitely least, Joffrey. <laughs> I have to wait 23 more friggin' episodes for that little bastard to eat shit and die. Valamar Gorlis, bitch. His time won't come soon enough. All right, guys, catch you next episode. Bye. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I'd have to go back and watch again um, about Varys, but I felt like he's just, he's an honorable guy and he knows Ned's an honorable guy and that's why he was trying to help him out. Yeah, probably. Hopefully. I don't think it had anything to do with hoping he would go up and interact with John or something like that. He could have somebody else do that. It is interesting though. Um, I wonder it's certainly a possible, like a possibility, but I, I wouldn't necessarily uh, say for sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, Sometimes people just do nice things because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. But it's his Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Thanks, Kira. And we have another voicemail from Archmaester Rennie. Well, hello, Duncan and Jason. This is Archmaester Rennie calling about episode nine, Baylor. I'm calling rather than writing because if I wrote, I would have to write in all caps about this episode. This is the episode with the incident, the beheading of the character who we were led to believe was the main character. Yeah. Uh, I read the books, actually listened to the books as audiobooks before the series began, and I remember distinctly when I got to this part of the audiobook, I was driving in the car, and I shouted out loud, that did not just happen <laughs> when Ned Stark's head got cut off. And uh, I kept waiting for the book to double back somehow and say, oh, no, it really didn't happen. But it did happen. Um, so that event is so huge and so central to this episode, it's hard to realize how much of uh, other important stuff happens in this episode. The seeds of the Red Wedding are planted. John gets Longclaw. A secret Targaryen is revealed. Shay takes possession of Tyrion. Daenerys makes the first of a long string of bad decisions she's going to make. Jaime is captured. So many plot str strands are planted in this episode. Uh, there's practically a whole season's worth of action that happens in this episode. For me... I, I think this is the best episode of the series. It's 
the most satisfying overall, just the best done. And that last shot with the birds in the sky and then Arya's face, it's really the last time we ever see Arya as a child. Uh, I think she grows up in that moment. So I love this episode. Love your show. Um, thanks for doing it. Thanks so much for your voicemail, Archmaster Rennie. What do you think about that? Uh, I love it. And my favorite part is when she said Shay took possession of Tyrion. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. That's pretty much true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Very good sum up. Definitely. All right. That's our show, episode 51. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you guys want to call us, you can always reach us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. If you'd like to send a Raven, you can email ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. Next week, uh, we will be covering season one, the season one finale. It'll be me with Kristen and Travis. So make nice. sure to, yeah, it's gonna be fun. So uh, give, make sure to give that a watch and send us your feedback. We'd love to um, you know, get what you guys have to say out on the air. And uh, while you're at it, if you don't mind, if you have the time, give us a like on Facebook and an iTunes rating uh, that would help us get the word out of the podcast over the next year while we're doing the rewatch. So thanks in advance for that all right that's our show thanks for listening you're a shit warrior i'm alive